Hello, I'm William Gallagher. I'm the author of the BFI TV Classics book, The Beiderbeck Affair. Uh, and this is a podcast audio commentary for the first episode of the last Beiderbeck story, The Beiderbeck Connection. Now, I'm actually going to feel a little guilty about criticising this uh, as you watch, because I think episode one works quite well. It's just overall... Uh, this is the weakest of the three Beiderbeck stories. I actually think it's also the most colourful, and I can't explain that. Um, the Beiderbeck tape seems comparatively dreary, even though I much prefer it. Uh, this just seems very bright and newer somehow. Maybe it's just that the quality of the tape, the film, has lasted better over these years. I'm not sure. This is one of the reasons why I think it's very strong at the start. That's Big Al. Terence Rigby. Back as Big Al, and behind him, well, behind him, Danny Schiller back as Little Norm. Now, neither of these were in the Beiderbeck tapes, the TV show. They were in the novel that came first. Um, they were both off in uh, Athens. Um, and the TV series changed it to Edinburgh and actually dropped both of them. But less because of the location change than because Terence Rigby wasn't available for filming. Um, at the time, he was actually working in Birmingham, uh, or might be Nottingham, recording Crossroads, anyway, which is produced out of Birmingham. Um, and you'll hear a mention uh, later on of the fact that he was away. He was off in the Midlands, as he calls it, and that is a direct reference to what he was doing. I should have worked this out, actually, uh, how long it takes for cornflakes to be born. Uh, I was going to say Barbara Flynn. Uh, Jill Swinburne is pregnant at the very end of the Beiderbeck tapes. So if you figure nine months from there or so, uh, she's actually just about to go back to school in this. Um, so at least a couple of months further on. Call it a year, maybe a year and a quarter since the end of the Beiderbeck tapes. And they're back in the same house. It has a few more stickers, I think, but it's still quite a tidy little place which doesn't really entirely fit somehow. Uh, I think I said this in tapes, there's a line isn't there in the script about, um, is there, I'm saying that as if you've read the scripts as well. If you have, aren't they good? Isn't it funny those notes? Or one of those notes that Alan Plater wrote was, uh, or did he say it to me in an interview? I'm not helping you here, am I? At all. The point made by Alan Plater at some point in some form was that uh, Jill wouldn't be bothered keeping the outside of the house that tidy and uh, certainly Trevor would never get around to it, that kind of thing. This is another reason I, I like this episode most. It's return of uh, Judy Brooke as Yvonne. She's returning from the Beiderbeck tapes. Uh, everybody else who's coming back is from the, the affair and was absent in the tapes. But it feels like a gathering of all the favourites. The wonderful 3B and all the things it did. <laughs> Beiderbeck Connection was always intended to be the last of the three. Strictly speaking, it's the fourth because there was Get Lost originally. And then what we know is the Beiderbeck Affair was written uh, to be Get Lost Revisited and then reworked when Alan Armstrong was not available to reprise his Get Lost role. After that, the Beiderbeck Affair... Well, originally, Beiderbeck Affair 
Get Lost and Revisited As Was was going to be the second and final story about two school teachers. And it became the Bidebeck Affair, and that became a hit. Uh, it earned its sequels with some difficulty. There are all the problems you heard about, maybe if you were listening to the Bidebeck tapes thing. None of that seems to have happened with connection. As far as people I talked to about the affair who were involved in this said, it was a comparatively smooth run. It aired about a year after tapes. Uh, it's four parts. It's not based on Alan Plater's novel. This time the series came first. And actually he novelised it several years later. But at the time that this was made, I met him shortly before this aired. So it would have been mid-1988. And he told me then... I love this moment, sorry. The, as far as I can see, the only to-camera moment in the whole of the Beck saga. And part of that bothers me a little bit. As if it feels like it, it broke a wall there, but we were expecting it, I think, and there was arm player to giving it to us, really. Um, I was saying, when I met him, um, he'd written this. It, I think it, was, it must have been in the can by then, and it was to air in the next couple of months. Uh, so he could, wouldn't actually tell me a great deal about it. He wouldn't reveal a huge amount of the plot. He told me some of the basic themes of it. And he also said very categorically that that's it. This is the end. Um, and he said that that was for lots of reasons. Partly just the there's the overall artistic thing, if you like, that stories just tend to naturally come in threes. The three-act structure. Um, but he also felt that uh, if it went on too long... It had the possibility to become a bit of a soap, and that, that he said that's not my bag. Um, in fact, he was often asked to write uh, for the soaps. I think, especially Coronation Street. Um, Shirley Rubinstein, Alan Plater's widow, told me a couple of times, I think actually, that thrice the soaps asked him, and thrice he declined. Just wasn't his kind of thing. He didn't particularly watch them as a viewer either and you didn't write them. It's interesting, I think, just a separate side point, that you could argue that this is soap-like because it's domestic, it's about a family and all sorts of things going on. So it's not a Western, it's not a romance per se, it's not science fiction or something. And I, I think a few years ago, that comparison, when this was made, that comparison would have been laughable because the soaps were very clearly this, dramas were very clearly that. Now, Perhaps because, uh, at least in the BBC, it's very much seen that your route into writing drama is through writing soap. That what we get, or very prone to get, are hour-long soaps. Uh, and there are differences, there are significant differences, but that's another seven-hour lecture, isn't it? The Bidebeck Connection, why it was coming to an end after three. Um, as well as the artistic business of the rule of three, if you like, as well as the risk of a soap. There was also what Alan Tommy thought was a kind of a very practical issue, which was the baby. But I keep saying Barbara Flynn instead of Jill Swinburne. Jill Swinburne is pregnant at the end of tapes. And so now, great, we have to deal with the baby. He loves kids, he told me. He loves his own children. But professionally, they're a nuisance. I remember him saying that. And actually, I remember that because I quoted him in a book, uh, BFI TV Classics. I've just, I, I'm now quoting my quote of Alan. Uh, it's a funny world, this Beidebeck thing. You get so sucked up into the ever so slightly unusual things. 
of it. And again, wandering off the point for you there. Practical concerns. You have a child in there. You can't, said Alan, um, have people going off and solving a mystery when they've got to look after the kid. Now, you can, he said, spin it all around and have it so that we could go and solve the mystery if only we could find a babysitter to look after the kid. Works. It's funny, dramatic. It, it, yeah, it's there. It lands. Um, but you can't really do that in every single episode and every single series. So he was willing to do it for this one, but then no more. That's the unfrocked bank manager over there in the corner. By the way, love all the names on it. We, I don't think the unfrocked bank manager is ever actually called that as such in dialogue in the programme. He's often referred to it in the books. If you haven't read the novels, by the way, do look them up. They circulate on eBay and uh, Amazon secondhand stuff, and they're well worth doing it. And, and notice what I said that I love things coming back, uh, the strengths of the original show, and this is one of them. That gigantic crane move timed out to a mirror, uh, to a mirror, to a window. This is now directed by Alan Bell, uh, but that camera move, just like the original show's camera moves, was by uh, Peter Jackson. Not that Peter Jackson. One change that's uh, coming up soon is actually a difference. Um, Get Lost, when it was rewritten, it, the, the Beiderbecke Affair, you can look at the scripts, the original Beiderbecke Affair scripts, uh, they actually had the title Get Lost revisited at the top, and that was tipexed out, and the Beiderbecke Affair written over it. And, and it's all this stuff. It's uh, instead of Jill and Trevor, it's the original characters, Judy and Neville. But otherwise, it's the same lines practically throughout. But there were some subtle changes. And one of them uh, was a kind of a small tonal thing, I thought, at the time. Uh, we had this business that in Get Lost, um, the woman teacher's husband leaves her. In the Beiderbeck affair, the woman teaches husband, well, she throws him out. We gather. Um, in Get Lost, we see that he's left. In the Beiderbeck affair, we gather that Jill has thrown this guy out. Um, and I think we kind of forgot about him, really, but he comes into the Beiderbeck connection. So yet again, I don't like constantly saying what I liked is that it, it's the original stuff is coming back. I mean, I love the original stuff before I'd seen anything else i loved it as it happened as it was new new is fine i you want the shows to move on uh, but i actually think that what lacks in the Beiderbeck connection is that it doesn't have something really new or really new that works as well the Beiderbeck tapes is quite different from the affair but it's very good i enjoy it a lot and it has quite a bit to it this its actual strengths i think the bits that only appeal to me are the callbacks to the original, the fond remembrances of here with Big Al and one of his, well, the start of one of his little schemes, for example. You can get trapped in the kind of tropes of things, have Big Al come out to do something, have little Norm struggle off with the wires to do something else. And you can see Alan's point that if he kept going, that maybe that would become so plug. But of all the callbacks, the one thing that 
really made you kind of sit up and notice um, when it happened uh, in a later episode of this is the return of Jill's husband. It doesn't bear a gigantic amount of examination because his arrival, uh, when he comes, and what he knows, uh, it's uh, a fair few coincidences all wrapped up into one. But all we actually care about uh, is that he's back. And exactly like Trevor, we want to see what he looks like. Oh, one second. There, I thought they said it. And you said it in the books. They do say it in the connection. BD to Z Victor 1. Uh, that's a catchphrase from Z Cars, which uh, arguably made Alan Plater's name as a writer. He wrote 18-odd episodes of that uh, in the 60s. So we want to look at uh, Trevor's, uh, excuse me, at Jill's husband, and Trevor's keen to see it, and Yvonne, Judy Brooke, is very keen to see what she got rid of, and that matters much more than the plot. And that, in a sense, although it's something you can't as visibly point to, is also a callback to the Beiderbeck affair. The Beiderbeck tapes has this nuclear waste plotline that drives it all through. Now, at the end, that's just erased in a flash, and by then we don't care. We've had the characters and we've had the story. We've been with them. But it was driven by an actual plot. Um, and in some ways, the fact that this steps away from that was also refreshing and nice at the time. I remember watching this episode air and being really thrilled to see them all back. For reasons like that and for also the mystery of what he's plotting mystery is bigger in the Biderbeck connection than i think is anything i'm sorry it's watching little norm in the back uh, <clears throat> mystery is bigger in this than in most things in the affair and ish in the tapes there's a very definite uh i'm gonna stop for an ad break there sorry excuse me that was quick. Okay. I do love the music in the Biderbeck connection. This shot actually reminds me this bit when it appears in the title sequence and the jazz theme becomes a, becomes a police siren. I think that's a gorgeous moment. Oh, for these two. These are another callback in a way. This is Ben and Joe. Um, on the left there, you actually have uh, George Costigan as Ben, and uh, he's replacing Steve Tomlin, who played the character in the Biderbeck affair. And now on the left, we have Sean Scanlon. I'm sure I love these two. They were kind of lazy in the Biderbeck affair, and they, they were just kind of there in the police station and did as little as possible. But here... This is, I think, this is so clever. On the one hand, what you remember of these two is that they are Olympic standard bone idol. It is a gorgeous idea, and both of them, I think, particularly George Costin, uh, Costigan as the new uh, Ben, just play it so well. People, yeah, you know, look at those sleeves rolled up. He thinks he's in Miami Vice, but he doesn't actually want to do any police work at all. And the clever part, I think, for me, is probably just that they're fresh, interesting characters. Is that without us quite realising, they do 
do a lot of police work. They do a lot of detective stuff. Far more so than Jill or Trevor, the investigation, the mystery, the detection in the Beck connection is down to these two fellas. Kind of reluctantly. And almost that they don't know what happens. They move things along and they find out things. Jill and Trevor are very preoccupied um, at the start that you've seen so far with looking after the child, firstborn, sorting out a sitter for when uh, Jill is going back to school. Trevor is working at the school as before. And there's Jill. She's back. And launching this, launching this issue, now we have three copies of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. The whole theme of the Biderbeck connection starts here in a sense here. Uh, would you steal to get your child an education? Yes. Unequivocably, uh, that's the answer for this. So that's the theme. That's actually the bit that Alan told me about quite happily when he wouldn't tell me what the plot was about. But the plot hangs around Big Al and Little Norm and the man they're about to bring. Do you know, I've never read that, Mike. Okay. This is also kind of an in-joke in a way. Uh, with Get Lost, this room or the equivalent was full of standard lamps. By the Biderbeck Affair, they were table lamps. I think in the tapes had they become one of two bookends and now it's what is this? The theory of wood. Okay, okay, nice joke, nice escalation, but it's all feeding into would you steal wood to educate your child? Yes, you would. <laughs> I do like the way Big Al and Little Norm set up the mystery, but they can't, for as important as they are, and as good as it is that they came back. Um, they set it running, and they take quite a while setting it running, but then they kind of step aside. They become far less important than they were in the Biderbeck affair, because the important thing, as far as the plot is concerned, is their delivery of Ivan. Ivan, who appears to be this refugee, uh, who definitely is a big Spiderbeck fan, which actually feels a bit of a construction. There is a line coming up when you see him where uh, Jill says to Trevor, you've made a Biderbeck connection. And that feels in, in a way. I mean, there's plenty of in-jokes that work. The Midlands reference, the uh, nods in the Biderbeck tapes to the music of the Biderbeck affair. But here seems a little, I think arch is the word. And I'm not quite sure why that's the word, but that's the term. I th I have some memory that in the book of this, the tape is black and white, that there's something either faulty with the recording because the unflocked bank, manager, unflocked bank manager didn't manage to record it right. Uh, but it's grainy, it's black and white. So there's actually a lot more mystery over the van. It's not as obviously yellow as Trevor's little yellow van is. Notice, of course, the return. I don't know what GE stands for there. Uh, that's never stated in the scripts, but gee, this is Detective Inspector Hobson, PhD. Dominic Jeffcott returns. Sergeant Hobson, BA, as was. Interestingly, because he actually was quite the investigator in the first episode. I mean, he tried, anyway. And here, that's been taken away from him, and he's kind of in the role of man management. Uh, it's interesting to watch this very soon after the affair when we've watched him being managed um, 
by his boss, Colin Blakely's portrayal of a superintendent forest. It is somewhat different. But in some ways it's the same idea as well. This um, Through Get Lost, The Affair, and now The Connection, there is always an officer, um, such as Sergeant Hobson, who gets so far into the story before um, a superior comes along and interferes, mucks it up. Um, in Affair, it was several episodes in before Chief Superintendent Forrest started having a bollocking at Sergeant Hobson. Uh, in The Connection, if we were to talk on until episode four, um, I think my throat would be very dry and your ears would be talked off. Uh, but it happens again. We get a fourth, um, third, if you doubt, the last time Sergeant Hobson gets a superior officer uh, with Chief Superintendent Blake. So actually, strictly speaking, in terms of rank and whatever, if you want to be very picky about it, she's not his superior, but she's more important than he is. She's swooping in from somewhere else uh, to take over a case uh, involving Ivan. Um, and he's very, uh, Hobson is very deferential to her. It's a shame in a way because uh, she's the last new character in the entire Beiderbeck saga. Um, and, but she's the first to not work. There's something just not there uh, about her. I mean, I'm not knocking Deborah Grant's portrayal, but somehow all of the Beiderbeck characters are absurd, yet they're somehow real. You can believe all of them, even as they're doing something slightly odd. There's a lovely line in Affair, in the second episode of the Beiderbeck Affair, where uh, Chill and Trevor are talking about it, and Trevor says something that they've done, that he's done. It only looks weird if you're looking from the outside. Um, and we are inside with them, so we're, we can see what they're doing, and logically it's weird, logically none of this could happen, but it works because we're with them. That's the gorgeous strength of it, we are with the characters. But that, it's so difficult to do that, and I think it falls apart with Chief Superintendent Blake. Uh, she has the absurdity, but we're not with her somehow. I don't think that she has the reality somehow. And I know that's a funny thing to say about any of the people in this, but you do completely believe that Jill, for example, is an English teacher. You do believe that she's good at it. Uh, you do believe that Mr. Wheeler is a um, shine, uh, spineless, shifty uh, bastard, I think is the description somewhere, one of the books about it. But that is him. He feels Real, real's a funny word. What I mean, genuine, true. That's it. He's, they, feels like a true character. Little nervous, uh, little norm here. The very slow-paced, glacial, clever, deep-thinking Big Al is true. And Trevor, of course, who's actually become more and more active over the series. Again, the, the difference with Get Lost is that the story. Uh, required the equivalent of Trevor, the woodwork teacher of that show, to be more active than Trevor is in the affair. In Get Lost, Get Lost all starts because the woman uh, teacher's husband leaves her and it's a big mystery. She turns to the woodwork teacher for help. Uh, and it's a comparatively serious start. I mean, it's not CSI Beiderbeck or anything 
Oh, that, but you look at the start of the affair in comparison, and the, the big mystery then is uh, Trevor getting four albums. Uh, you know, sing along a. Um, no, it's uh, the George Formby Songbook, Volume Four, and uh, Everyday Spanish for Beginners, and a couple of getting those instead of some big Spiderbeck albums. It's hardly crime of the century. It's also hardly as worrying as a husband leaving it's irritating and we completely buy he looks uh trevor looks as hurt as a child when he finds that's the contents of the exciting parcel um and, and we, we were with him i'd never heard of big spider beck before but you felt the the upset and you were with him and so you bought as he investigated further um but it's a comparatively low-key investigation, even then, because I think the first thing Trevor tries, he has the receipt and the address, that's when he goes to Aristophanes Street, and it's just been knocked down. Uh, and he stops, and that's it, that would be the end, and he kind of inches forward, sometimes through coincidences which I think actually work in a fair better than they do here. But it's such a gradual thing you don't th you never think of the Beiderbeck affair as a crime show i don't think you ever sort of get lost as one either but it was about it had police involvement and you would bring the police in for that connection we're now 25 minutes and 20 seconds into episode one now We've had no real mystery. We've had slight intrigue with what is Big Al plotting, and we're just learning it here. He needs a safe place for someone. We never quite learn out learn why there's a connection here, how Big Al has come across. Uh, with the affair again, all of the stuff that Big Al did with the white economy, uh, it was kind of a self-contained unit. He was raising money this way, doing that, all fitted together. And you had the idea that he had fingers in everything. This is a case where we're seeing the finger and we don't really know why he's in there. And it's partly because he's actually a, a delivery mechanism here. He brings us Ivan in a bit and then fades away, not completely, but he fades away in importance in the story. Just a quick aside, the name of the baby is Firstborn. There's a bit in the connection uh, where they explain that um, it's because June Trevor can't decide on a name. She wants Carl after Karl Marx, Karl Marx sorry, and he wants Edward. Um, I've gone completely blank. Who would that? Who would Edward be after? Oh, that's embarrassing. Uh, do you know when I first met Alan Plater and Shirley Rubinson and did this interview with them uh, for the British Film Institute actually funny to do a book about it later but this was for the BFI's primetime television magazine it was all about the Biderbeck film it was a big piece it was my first big piece and, and actually it still works uh, I've seen quotes from that interview crop up in other places, which is terribly satisfying. Um, but after it, I got this lovely letter from Alan and Shirley um, talking about the article. And there were bits that I'd misunderstood, and they did not care. If I'd said, oh, I don't know, that Alan Plater, they longed to write Batman or EastEnders or something, they wouldn't have cared about that. What they really cared about was that I'd got my jazz history slightly wrong um yeah i'm blushing here thinking about that 
about it. Um, it was to do with an issue of the fact that the three series were not going to be called Beiderbeck. It was going to be the Beiderbeck Affair, the Gillespie tapes, the Yardbird suite. Beiderbeck after Bix, Gillespie after Dizzy Gillespie, and Yardbird after... I've gone blank on exactly the same point. Um, that's really quite acute. And the funny thing is, as I was telling you that story, I remembered who Edward was. And I was about to tell you. Anyway, let's... If only there was some sort of worldwide web of information that we could look up. You're looking very nice today, by the way. I meant to say that. Hi. Anyway. Hello. Uh, back to the Bidebeck connection. Oh, I should say, reason did I mention this before? The reason that they didn't change names like that, the reason that this is the Bidebeck connection and not uh, the Yardbird suite, is that uh, Sir Paul Fox and others, but Sir Paul Fox at Yorkshire Television, said to Alan Plater after the affair <coughs> had been on, um, we've now taught people the word Bidebeck, and some of them can even spell it. Can we please stick with that name, since it is the same series? And off they went. Funny, speaking about titles, that reminds me, The Bidebeck Affair most very visibly has um, the the first line of dialogue is the episode title, and you always see the episode title, and then you hear the line of dialogue. And that didn't happen on The Bidebeck Tapes. It's back for here. That's why we have that, um, oh, look, it's average-sized Mr. Chaplin. <coughs> Excuse me. Funny thing is that the fourth episode of this, the last episode of the Beiderbeck connection, in fact, the last television episode of Beiderbeck at all, is the first one to have an episode named after a line of dialogue, and it's not the first. Uh, I, I keep wondering if it's uh, just a decision in the editing or something, because it's only the second line. I think the first is something like... Um, What's the code today for getting into the office? And we get into the office and uh, Sergeant Hobson, Inspector Hobson, PhD, gets to say the opening line. Right. Ivan, who's not terrible, and the unfrocked bank manager. Last time we had Peterson, the man with no name. Looking back at Beiderbeck, I think, well, you, of course you remember the characters, the names of those characters. I really find Peterson, the man with no name, just tickles me every time. I can't explain why I like it so much, but I do. And it's just this torrent of names. But if you go back over all the series together, <clears throat> you find it's almost as if um, Alan decided quite a bit into it to do this. Um, I don't remember any characters like that from Get Lost and it's quite a way into in fact it's the appearance of Sergeant Hobson BA in about halfway through episode one of the Minderbeck Affair that we get names like this it's got Coming to another ad break here. I'm watching the network DVD tapes, by the way, and there's a slight gap between the ads, uh, between the ad parts, as you'd expect. <coughs> so I might just shut up in a second so that we can catch up. Uh, 
Duke Ellington, thank you. All right, there we go. Edward after Duke Ellington. Is that right, do you think? Or was it Ted Heath? Anyway, here we go. Isn't that funny? It just feels a bit forced to me. I don't know. Uh, I feel bad saying that because, I mean, I couldn't have written it. Could I? Could you? It's just, just somehow not quite Alan Plater's deftest. Or maybe there's something about the combination of the playing of it. I'd buy the Beck. It was, oh, I'd break. Back in a second. I should try to sell you something in this ad break, shouldn't I? Buy my book. It's available now. Thank you. Previously on this podcast, um, I, I'm trying to go over the point that I think, um, although this is, I think, clearly the weakest of the three sagas, what that actually does is point out just how delicate the Beiderbeck world is. It's a really fine line between what works and what doesn't. Um, I can't actually think of a moment in the Beiderbeck affair that feels forced. I mean, there are coincidences, but it doesn't feel like there are contrivances. Um, it doesn't feel like there's a line there for a reason. It always feels like people talking rather than there being lines. And that's pretty much the same with tapes. Um, I'm trying to think there. I have a feeling there is. It's not as perfectly smooth in tapes. Here, that line, if you made a Beiderbeck connection, it feels like it's there to stand up the title rather than it's what she would actually say. Don't know. Just my opinion. Actually, one of those depressing things. I, I loved researching the Beiderbeck affair. Let me back up further a bit. Um, when I first rang the British Film Institute in November 2010 to pitch this, um, I went in on that phone call knowing that if it worked and I got the book out of it, by the time the book was finished, of course I was going to be sick to the teeth of the Beinebeck affair. I thought it was actually possible. You've got to watch it so much, you've got to read so much. You cram your head full of this stuff that as much as you like it, you're going to end up hating it. And I thought... I have. I can write a book about this if I love the Beiderbecker affair enough to be willing to hate it by the end, and I did. I, that's what I thought at the time. I certainly loved it enough. I'm finding now. I mean, I go through patches where, please, I've just there's enough of this. But then, I was out on a research. I'm writing another book about something else. I can't uh, tell you about yet. But um, I was I was staying over in a hotel for it um just i want something to watch and all i had was episode six of the biodebeck affair on my ipad so i watched that and i really enjoyed it this show this whole set it's just resistant to dislike i think i mean if you don't like it in the first place you'll never like it and nobody will persuade you but you somehow don't get bored of it um, and I'd, certainly you see more and more um and that isn't necessarily the case with the connection here yet again i'm enjoying the fact that we're back in the staff room and there's wonderful dudley sutton as mr carter i always think it's terribly unfair at award ceremonies things when you get so and so as a best actor uh because how do you know how do you actually compare unless 
two actors ever played the same role and preferably the same script, I really don't think there's a way to judge somebody apart. You can say this show is wonderful, that film is terrific and this actor is great in it, but it's such a big combination. Drama is such a collaboration that I think it's uh, disingenuous, I think it's unfair, I think it's a bit boring to separate out one thing. You can take out the script, the script can stand on because you can read the script. I guess you can take out hairstyles. Um, music can work on its own, I mean how many soundtrack albums do you have? Um, and it doesn't take long before you forget the pictures that go with the sound if the music's good enough, but still that music is built to go with the pictures. The pictures are actually built to go from the script. Once it's there in the final can, the final edit, how can you say that this actor is brilliant and that actor is not? You can say this doesn't work and this does. Um, but in one of the funny cases, I started off this long ramble looking at Dudley Sutton. Uh, this business of the Beinebeck affair being actually um, Get Lost Revisited. In Get Lost Revisited, there was a very curmudgeonly character, a Mr. Megan. Mr. Megan was Mr. Carter. In the first version of the script, all six episodes of Get Lost Revisited, it was Megan, not Carter. And not a single word of uh, dialogue was changed between the two. But um, do look out for Get Lost on the Network DVD video. I love that video. They did a really nice restoration job, lots of nice extras, and what an extra. They included the whole four-part Get Lost in there as well, so you can see it all. Um, but just watch it to compare Dudley Sutton. I'm in no way trying to knock the uh, other actor. Do you know, I'm actually going to have to look up my own. I'm very sorry if you're listening to this. I'm having to look up my own book to see who played Mr. Megan. Uh, Michael Goldie, of course, Michael Goldie played Megan. Isn't it fun that now I can look up my... Is that silly telling you that? I was going to just reach down. Oh, there's a book about the Biodebeck. Put that back down. Uh, I'm not trying to knock uh, Michael Goldie. I am very much trying to persu uh, persuade her to praise um, Dudley Sutton. I think it's a fantastic role, and I would say the best of his career. Oh, a bit of plot here. Frankly, it's almost a mystery at this point, isn't it? Hello, sir. Hello, miss. I don't really want to draw parallels too much, um, but that that view there, that's true. That does remind me of Aristophanes Street. Actually, no, no, it reminds me of before Aristophanes Street, when Trevor is at a phone box trying to call. Um, the dazzlingly beautiful platinum blonde. I know that's a deliberate callback. Poor old little mum. I do think, I've, I said this is all very plot 
heavy, but actually really like, oh, God, would you believe the Mexican border? I can't believe that's in this. Um, <clears throat> if you watch Alan Plater, of course it's in there. I, what I don't believe is the fact that this must be where I picked it up from. I have found myself making references to making the Mexican border by nightfall. Um, I don't actually know where it came from, but if you look at a lot of Alan Plater material, you will see a reference to making it to the Mexican border by nightfall. It's certainly in the Beck affair. Uh, it's in episode two. Look at me. Look at that, eh? Can't remember jazz names, but I can name episodes. Episode two of the Beck affair, when Big Al, Little Norman, average-sized Mrs. Swinburne are being taken to the police station. They pause outside and Bill, Big Al ponders, can they make it to the Mexican border by nightfall? It's a nice line. When you have heard it a lot, it stops being a nice line per se. It becomes a trigger of you remembering all of this, and that's what just happened to me there. What I was going to say was that although this is all plot, um, I was quite critical there of Alan Plater's deafness in this. Deftness. It's only like I said, deafness. Um, but he always was really clever at plots. He denied it. He denied that to my face, actually. I remember him joking with me once. He showed me a draft of a Lewis and he told me, yeah, look at that. So yeah, the plot, I have no idea about plot. So I looked at that script and I came back saying, excuse me, actually, about the plot. And he changed something. I had an impact on an Alan Plated Lewis one and I'm not 100% sure he was very happy about that. But in general, he would do this thing of telling you that uh, he didn't care about plots, that he didn't do plots and certainly he didn't follow conventional stereotypical plots but he wrote really tightly um his stories worked very well underneath the structure of them was always very clever things happened here it always seemed very natural uh, usually seemed very natural but it was always for a reason and it was always going somewhere even the most aimless ambling delicious point had a point to it and uh, this ramble, this particular ramble, you know, we're 41 minutes and 45 seconds into this episode now. Yeah, and I haven't shut up yet. Sorry about that. Have you got a cup of tea or anything? A bit late to ask you. This particular ramble started with that phone call of Big Al calling Trevor and Chill. Now, the plot demanded it. It's actually easier to have him phone than to have him there. But there it was. We need a certain amount of plot information given. And he did that. And I adore the fact that Big Al delivered the plot information and then Jill comes on the line and Big Al delivers the plot information again. It turns both plot bits into one joke and has it's giving us the information, but it's still conveying frustration for Jill and Trevor. Um, and somehow we don't dislike Big Al for it. It's still this very steady, thought out, five paces ahead of you kind of thought that somehow oddly reassuring about you kind of believe Big Al you trust Big Al even if no I'm sure you should but you wonder about it and all of that conveyed in a couple of very simple sounding lines now that is deftness and I think that is Alan Plato's greatest strength uh, the way he uses that to make such vivid characters so apparently effortlessly that's I think is his biggest biggest skill and it's probably the single reason why Beidebeck has lasted so very very well it is these characters 
you do wonder how long shots like this took to make I mean, just a practical side of it and there we go queuing the, the arrival of the van in some ways th that feels a little tricksy to me I think even as I watched it the first time I thought cool that was well timed and that took me out of the story the actual point of all of the crane shots um, I guess the point was to make it seem different from standard dramas of the time to really use the area but actually that was it that was the whole point to show you where these people were to root them in this real land even as we see an unusual view of something we're seeing that it's real that it really is the moonstruck outer limits of Leeds and that works super um director david reynolds told me that explicitly told me that for the by affair that was the purpose show people this and he said it was how they also used to shoot through windows a lot it was bringing you into the drama in this real place maybe by now by the by connection it's become a trope of the show it's become something we expect from it because uh, i think that was really clever that particular over the roof and round one gorgeously done and i'd be so proud if i'd been involved in any part of that but as a viewer i thought cool that was good and that was wrong i think mr wheel is a marvelous character though isn't he in some ways he's the most one note character i mean there's mr carter who is forever curmudgeonly but he has his history that he lusts after jill and hates the world and hates the scores and hates everything and doesn't get on with his wife mr wheeler he wants to be he wants to be mr chips i think the book actually says that and one of the novels uh describes him as wanting that and saying that the only comparison with mr chips uh is a fatally greasy air and the fact that the school will be willing to say goodbye to him at a moment's notice this is of course again an end well I said, i'm saying like Alan Plater wrote this as a as a study in drama and that he chose to play against crime stereotypes um, well, he did, though. He did play against them. I don't think this... This is set up to be a story about great characters. But along the way, I think you have delightful moments like this. Can you think of a single other drama where somebody was being smuggled that it was uh, held up because they didn't have change for the toll booth? I mean, you can think of comedies that would do it. But that's funny, it's quite, I was just thinking, in some ways, this reminds me of things like Charlie Muffin or uh, The Sandbaggers, where you have these very tense meetings at the borders. And, and what Jill just said, that was very much spy film-like. Um, but the Beiderbeck uh, connection is able to do the gag of them not having the money and then pull back to make that actually quite sinister because they're being watched. And now, can it be peacefully mysterious? watching him walk off into the distance I'm going to spoil this for you until he's back and there you go is that not a uh, police sandbaggers kind of shot watching waiting mysteriously but as far as the characters are concerned it's back to normal and school 
in the novel again I, keep, I really urge you to read the novels they are a treat at that point um, Mr Wheeler pauses at the end of the evening kind of thing, thinking it's a joke and that he'll get a laugh and he doesn't he's a figure of fun Mr Wheeler but you feel for him he is one note he's always like this it is always pathetic and shifty and spineless um, but again you believe him it's interesting he is such a caricature yet he seems true uh, Alan Plato in an interview once talking about how people kept telling him that they have people that they recognize people um, every policeman uh, he ever talks said about Sergeant Hobson we've got one just like him and uh, every teacher says our school is exactly like the Bidebeck school and you know of course that none of them are at all it is wild invention but there is a core truth to it that teachers and policemen recognize and yet somehow also we recognize this is a side issue, and all of this is a side issue. Sorry, but I got very frustrated once reading a review of Jack Rosenthal's uh, *The Knowledge*, uh, which is a, the plot is about people learning to become taxi drivers in London. And, and the review said, "Well, great if you're a taxi driver in London, but it doesn't make any sense to the rest of us." Well, did it bollocks not make any sense to the rest of us? It was about desire and wanting and being and striving and failing. It was just a tremendous. Piece. There you go. You thought I only praise Alan Plater. I'm a Jack Rosenthal fan as well. Uh, again, uh, plots, and we're very near the oh, we're very near the end of the episode. There, I should say this is the last of the three podcasts. Were the three audio commentary podcasts? I'm planning to support my book. Um, if you if I've really really confused you about anything or you just fancy a natter, do remember you can always reach me on wg at williamgallagher.com. And if you didn't already get this podcast um, from my website, then there is bidebeck.williamgallagher.com, and I've also done jazz.williamgallagher.com in order to get you there quicker. Um, I was just trying to say about the plotting and stuff. This is a plot towards the end of an episode, which again, the Barnabek affair just ended. I mean, it ended neatly and satisfyingly. Each episode came to an end, but they didn't have very many cliffhangers, whereas this is a mm, business. And here we come with the big finish of this episode. I do love Barbara Friend's look there. The utter genuine tiredness of it is very impressive in this. And usually this series, The Bidebeck Connection, is also the one that he did this with the end theme. Uh, there was like a last moment of incidental music that became a voiceover, voiceover music over, did the main credits, and then, boom, into the main titles. Actually, I told you a lie there. Into the main theme, that's what I was thinking. I'm not running out. Listen, thank you very much for listening to this. I'm astonished that you made it all the way through. Did you cheat? Did you wind forward? Yeah, I would too. Uh, but a treat to talk to you. Uh, I hope you've been able to get the Biderbeck series on DVD. And, God, I'm watching the clock running out. I'm trying to think of all the things I've got to say. My book is out now. BFI TV Classics, The Biderbeck Affair, by me, William Gallagher. And remember, wg at williamgallagher.com.
wgauthor.com or you can get me on Facebook too, facebook.com slash wgauthor and I put a lot of Beidebeck materials on there too and I have to shut up. Thanks a lot. Take care now. Bye-bye.